The Money Show. Business Unusual. With Colin Cullis. And we're looking at that connection between old and new technologies tonight with Colin Cullis. Business Unusual tonight. And the war on Ukraine, the invasion by Russia, it's having all sorts of devastating consequences for all sorts of commodities that are globally relevant, Colin Cullis. It is, Bruce, and tonight it's a very uncomfortable conversation about an unintended consequence of some wars is progress. And it seems crazy that during a war you might even consider those things, but given the challenges we have and the coming shortages and the increases in prices that were in the news bulletins and that story now about investments in in gas and and all the rest of it, um, it, it's it's the starting point for how those things that are about to change change and, and this is a bit of a background on the occasions in the past when that happened. So, so one of the largest ones in that uh, way is that after the First World War, not that they knew it then would be the First World War, it was a great war, the big war, uh, was the founding of the League of Nations, uh, an undertaking to say, we shall never uh, let humanity engage in such an incredible war again. Well, that failed because we had World War II. But following that and the founding of the United Nations, as well as other bodies from there, like UNICEF and the World Food Programme, well, those three, even if you might argue the diplomatic abilities of the United Nations are a little limited, UNICEF in looking after, uh, you know, those affected by uh, being refugees or children in in conflict areas, gives some solace for for doing those conflicts that otherwise they might have nothing. And the World Food Programme, is the world's largest humanitarian organization. Just about every country has representatives looking to ensure that those who need food will get it. And the incredible thing is it's, it's the richest nations who, who principally pay the greatest part, understandably, to ensure that that happens. Would we have that level of cooperation had at some point the world not faced a terrible war and then said, guys, we must not let this happen again. Uh, and so similarly, out of that war, Germany was building the rockets to uh, try and uh, decimate its enemies. Uh, And at the conclusion of the war, those rockets were used by scientists to say, now we're going to use them for sending satellites into space. And uh, these days, more often, people. Um, Might we have got to the moon if those very same rockets, massive rockets to deliver nuclear warheads all over the planet weren't required? That would allow us then to say, well, we can also use those rockets. And, and this is and this is the astonishing thing. I mean, the Allies smuggled Werner von Braun, who was in charge of the V1 and the V2 rocket project uh, for Nazi Germany, out of Germany, where many of his peers faced the rope and faced the long prison sentences and execution. Werner von Braun um, was made instrumental to the American space effort because they anticipated that there would be a Cold War and there would be this global peeing contest to see who can get people into space first and so they, they kind of kidnapped him um, with his um, agreement of course because he you know had a very very successful career uh, as a rocket scientist as uh, and a world leading rocket scientist but yes the origins of the space race rest in nazi germany it's one of those weird historical anomalies isn't it yeah an inconvenient truth if ever there was one and i suppose we can even say you know ahead of the the, the covid pandemic those risks and the potential for the outcome and what it would entail were known. Um, but we didn't do anything, in part because it's not the public health officials that get to determine the budgets to set aside what is needed and the programs that need to be implemented. It's the politicians. And the politicians aren't going to set money aside for something that their citizens believe to be such a small likelihood as to not be a, a chance 
uh, of occurring at all. And so this is the strange sort of notion that sometimes, despite our ability to tackle incredibly big challenges, and here perhaps climate change is a good one to note, it sometimes requires us to get a lethal threat before we're willing to do something about it. And hopefully South Africa's uh, continued efforts to mitigate climate change shouldn't come on the back of us having to report the horrific devastation that's goes, going on in KZN or, or wait for another drought in the Western Cape. We kind of know this is happening. Um, and, and so this is kind of how that goes. I, I hope, Bruce, that maybe you can think of an occasion where the world did dodge a bullet because we came together at, at, at the right occasion. I found one, um, but, but I wonder if hopefully for making this slightly more uplifting, there's one that jumps to mind for you as well. Uh, I'm, I'm, so COVID-19 vaccines are, are the most obvious uh, opportunity. I mean, we've learned so much about vaccinology and we've known for a long time um, that there was going to be another virus. We knew there would be some form of outbreak at some point in the future. We didn't know how, we didn't know when, we didn't know what. Um, but human nature and the, the huge strides that have been taken in vaccinology over the last couple of decades um, have, have made it possible for us to get to the point where it you know is become possible for us to protect ourselves to a degree at least against the the covid-19 virus that would be an obvious one but history is full of these weird and wonderful uh, moments where some of the most extraordinary um, inventions in history and i can't you know, none come to the surface right now occur as a result of conflict to occur as a result of problem solving under duress that is a great example. And, you know, that's 50 years in the making, certainly these new mRNA uh, vaccines. Um, how much better would it have been for us, though, that the efforts and the, and the research and the funding given for making those vaccines were, were invested before the actual pandemic broke out? So effectively, somebody said, look, we were waiting for this thing. We, we, we found it. We, uh, we, we created the code and we, we had the facilities in place to produce the vaccines and we rolled it out and everybody said, we got it. We were aware you would be making vaccines for in case this happens and sort it out. So the example I will give you for the cases that we did actually dodge a bullet. Uh, and that's for anybody that was alive in 1999 or earlier that had an electronic device. Because anybody that was alive around them was faced with a very real consequence that when we went into the 1st of January 2000, whatever that thing was they had might stop working because chips at the time never considered they would ever become 2000. <laughs> Their date range stopped on the 31st of December 1999. Uh, but we dodged that bullet in part, I think, because enough people decided to do something. But probably also, despite us thinking we were ever so electronically sophisticated at the time, we were pretty rudimentary. Not having a TV or VCR work you know, on the 1st of January 2000, probably wouldn't be the end of the world. Although, uh, in some respects, there was there was one anecdote I can share that was quite impressive. Kuberg Power Plant is one of many situated around the world and built almost identically. And, and in order to manage the 2000 risk, all of those nuclear plants connected to each other live as the first ones over in the east, I think the, the first one to, to pass into the time was in China, so that if anything happened there, at the very least, they'd have a few minutes or hours before the next one passes through the time zones to do or not do something uh, to avert a bit of a danger. So humans can do it if they need to. But now we get back to the future, as it were. And we're sitting with uh, the war in Ukraine, uh, where Ukraine and Russia, between the two of them, account for a very large proportion of the wheat, the barley and sunflowers, so vegetable oil, that gets produced for the entire planet. And Russia, for its part, of the largest global exporter of fertilizer. Now, we've discussed fertilizers in the past, saying it's a finite commodity, it is carefully managed, and it's highly concentrated. Conflicts and things like this can upset it, and that'll have a massive implication for food security and, and prices. And here it is, not because there is a lack of it, but because the 
very impressive sanctions that it seemed to have been leveled against Russia, we'll see those fertilizers not be able to be to be shared. And one of the reasons Russia is such a large uh, manufacturer of fertilizer is that it relies on its gas to create it. Fertilizer production is hugely energy intensive. And so for other countries to pick up the slack, as it were, they're probably going to be relying on coal to drive those processes. Uh, which is not ideal. But here's then where, where some of the positives come out, because as much as, um, you know, the world will be short now of fertilizer and, and need to, to plant more fields, etc., and so feel the need to want to get more fertilizers, there are small companies who are saying there is an alternative to fertilizer. And they're either saying we're using microbial intervention, so you're using little microbes that will able to synthesize the, the nutrients out of the soil, out of the, out of the air, the nitrogen in particular, to, to help the plants grow, or to start using different methods regenerative farming, which is one we've discussed before, as a way of doing it. Now, farmers, like the rest of us, don't believe in fixing things that are not broken. But when a particular input of theirs, and one that they rely on heavily, becomes either hard to get or very expensive, then you're more inclined to say, okay, tell me about this uh, funny brood stuff that you guys want me to chuck on my fields, or tell me again why it is I shouldn't plow my field, but rather just plant the new ones on top of it. And so that shift for us looking to test that out may have that unintended consequence. And the last time we saw something that potentially was this unintended, but had that much of a shift, was when George W. Bush and his oil-loving buddies decided to go and invade Afghanistan and Iraq and send the oil price to double and then keep it there for a decade, allowed for investment and the interest in electronic cars and renewable energy to get enough of a foothold to actually tip over from being this niche little thing that you had to be like a greenie to want to do to now become the dominant form. And quite honestly, when the, the Tesla Roadster came out, the demand for that car was on the basis of people either wanting the, the coolness factor or wanting to do their bit for the environment. But its cost allowed Elon Musk effectively to, to, to bring down the cost of the Model 3, where now that basically is the standard model for electric cars. And most other manufacturers are shifting their focus away from combustion engines to the electric ones. And even though politicians now are making these bold claims, supposedly, that they will outlaw combustion engines by 2030, the reality is the market would have shifted and nobody would want a combustion engine by 2030, particularly if the cars are reliable, they cost less to run, and the fuel prices are anywhere near as expensive as they are now. Um, and so that pretty much is the it, it in a nutshell. There is another element which I'll leave online, which explains how solar panels are going to get a big shot in the arm and massive improvements that will come despite solar panels having had a massive improvement uh, in efficiency and, and, and reduction in cost. There are still some additional ones that are coming as a consequence of this. And so while the global north tries to wean itself of its, its, its use of gas for heating, and it might now shift to solar panels with uh, heat pumps. Uh, the rest of the world, including us here in sunny South Africa, may see some magnificent benefits from it. And while I'm in no way trying to put a positive spin on a war, I hope it ends soon. Um, there is something long term that thankfully there is a little positive that can come from crazy dictators like Putin messing with the world order. Yeah. And I mean, we, 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 we you know, the issues like the invasion of, of Ukraine create a whole range of problems. And. Those problems then are solved by clever people. But those problems, those solutions create a whole new set of problems because there are always unforeseen circumstances to these things. So uh, humanity in perpetuity tends to thrive in times of deep uncertainty and chaos. It brings out our co collective energies. It brings out our extraordinary ingenuity. We wish that the disruptions didn't happen in the first place, but as a whole, I wonder if those disruptions don't contribute, in part at least, uh, to humanity's steady progression through the ages. Thank you, Colin Cullis. Food for Thought this evening, as always, with Business Unusual, here on The Money Show.